Welcome to episode 178 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So in this episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to this week, some comet A1 or 1A, no, A1 observations. A1. Isn't there like a steak sauce that's A1? I just thought of that. <laughs> um, we're also going to be talking about or announcing the winners, uh, two winners for the uh, 2022 RASC Observers uh, Calendar. But before we jump in, Shane, we have a thank you and a mention of something. Yeah, yeah. Big thanks to Liam, uh, another Patreon supporter. We really appreciate uh, what uh, we appreciate your contribution, Liam, and all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, thank you very much. Um, you know, we've been on a bit of a roll here, so you've heard us uh, say thank you many times. But we uh, we really do appreciate it. It helps uh, fund some of the back end stuff that we do here, and um, yeah, it's awesome. So thank you for that. And then the other mention is, um, so there's a, there's an kind of an aggregator or, uh, I don't know, like, a um, like a list of, of, uh, of like a podcast recommender, it's called Feedspot. And if you go to Feedspot, you can look up like kind of any category of podcasts and they have a bit of a ranking to, uh, you know, help you find new podcasts that you might be interested in. Uh, if you go there and you look for astronomy podcasts, we've moved into the top five. So thank you, Feedspot, for, uh, for the recognition. And, and really just a, a heads up to all of our listeners, if you're looking for other astronomy podcasts, you know, you want to hear some new voices, some new points of view. Um, this is a, a decent source to check that out. Uh, go to Feedspot and uh, just, again, search for astronomy podcasts. And I think the list is like a top 20 list or something like that. So you'll, you'll find a lot there and, and maybe some of it are podcasts you've never heard of before. Yeah, very cool. And uh, yeah, thanks again to, to Liam for his Patreon support. Um, we really appreciate that, especially, I think, I think, cause as we get into the new year, I think we, we end up getting some of our, um, annual, um, subscriptions coming due for, yeah. uh, for the software and different things that, that we use to create this, uh, this podcast. So it's, it's really appreciated. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to see, um, that we're on the, the feed spot, uh, list again this year and, uh, yeah, really, really neat, uh, piece of, I guess, software and that sort of thing that they, they use there. So, Anyway, that's uh, that's a cool thing as well. So, Shane, how was your week observing? <laughs> uh, not bad. Um, There's a combination of a couple side projects and then a little bit of observing. Um, maybe I'll start with the side projects. I ordered some amber flashlights um, uh, and, and then received them recently. I was going to order the... Uh, uh, who the heck makes yours? I forget. Uh, oh, shoot. Right, Rigel? Rigel, Rigel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to order that one. The flashlight itself is reasonably priced, like I think 40 US dollars or something like that. But the shipping was going to be like 40 another US 40 US dollars, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, you know, with exchange and duty and all of this stuff, it was like over a hundred dollars for a flashlight, which I, you know, quickly decided against. Um, and I think mine has developed a loose connector. It doesn't stay on very well. So Oh, anyway, okay. Anyway, I think I'm, I think I'm going to switch the battery out. I noticed the battery has like a weird angle to it. And I think it's just the battery that came with it. So I, I think yeah. I just got to switch it out. But anyway. Okay. okay. What did you get? Well, I got, uh, it's an amber flashlight made by Huga, H-O-O-G-A, um, one AA battery, and it has three brightness levels. 
and then it also has the ability to like focus the light beam uh, or have it like just a very wide, you know, kind of lighting area. And uh, so I got two of these for $20. Um, Are they the clip on ones? Uh, yeah, they have a little clip on them, but you can attach a lanyard, like there's lanyard holes all around the kind of the, uh, I guess the top of it where the button is. I think you need to send me the link because I I have one of these, but mine is, it's more like a reading light and oh, you can't yeah. focus the beam and mine's pretty bright. Mine's, mine's a little too bright for, yeah, for astronomy. Yeah. Yeah. So Huga, they do make a lot of reading lights as well. Um, but this is a, a, like a proper flashlight with a button on the back and, um, quite compact and lightweight. So it won't, you know, it's not going to give you neck cramps or anything like that. If you do have it on a lanyard around your neck. Oh, I see it now. LED. Yeah. Okay. Blue yeah. blocking. Okay. Yeah. Um, the issue though, is it is way too bright out of the box. Oh. Um, however, this is where my flashlight hack comes into play. So what I did, you can easily unscrew the lens off. So, you know, the, the glass is removed and now you have um, the LED exposed. And like with any flashlight, there's a very reflective reflector in there to kind of boost the light out of the flashlight. So all I did was I took a Sharpie and I blackened all of the reflective areas on the inside. So it's all black and mm. that toned it down an awful lot. Uh, however, still too bright. Um, so all I did is I, again, I took my Sharpie and I put a coat of black Sharpie over top of the Amber led. And that I think has solved the issue. It is mm. quite nice. Now, um, okay. I haven't had it under a dark sky to know for sure. And that's really the true test. Like once your eyes get dark adapted for, you know, the 30 minutes or so, yeah. uh, in a dark location, you know, what maybe seemed like just the right amount of light in your dark bathroom at home suddenly is like, you know, more annoying than the moon. Uh, hey, look, dark look we don't need to hear about any of them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so anyway, um, I will provide a, an update at some point in the future when yeah. I try this out at a, a dark site, but for now I'm, I'm really impressed. And I, I think that I can even make it a little darker if I just use a, like maybe an actual paint rather than a Sharpie over top of the led yeah. just to tone it down a little bit more, but, um, yeah, huh. so far so good. Yeah. I'm just looking, comes in a pack of two, 20 bucks on less 20 bucks Canadian. That's on Amazon. Yeah. I might, I might try the same thing, get a couple because, uh, like I said, the, the more expensive custom one that I had, it's got a bit of a, well, it's, it, it's just got a bit of a loose connector, I think. And I keep thinking, oh, I really like the amber light. I've come to really, really like it a lot better than, than the red light. And then, um, yeah, but it's, it's been a bit of a problem with, uh, you know, especially after I'm out for a while and it, and it kind of stops working. So, uh, this looks like it might be a good solution. Now, what, what I might try doing is uh, sort of half and half of what you did. So I think like your idea of blackening down the uh, the reflective bits inside sounds like a pretty good idea. And then what I might also try doing is I like to put parchment over uh, even my red light. And what I might mm. try to do is put a few layers of parchment over the front and then I can... Uh, you know, keep adding layers of parchment until I get it just right. And and what I might do is is dim one down uh, to to sort of the observing level, and then leave the other one at the regular level. And you know, here's the thing: is that I like the fact that it comes in packs of two, and that you know, basically they're like ten bucks each. 
this is this is a lot better but i also like the fact that you get uh two of them mm-hmm. and then that that allows you to have multiple lights because um as you know i'm forever losing these things if if they if they work good um you know maybe we'll get a set for mike because i think i think often he's he's asking to borrow my light i know he listens to this so <laughs> <laughs> doesn't he have like three or four red ones because i remember one night at grasslands i, I think he like lended them all out to, yeah to i think like they were all cancer. mine no i'm just kidding <laughs> just kidding yeah, yeah, I, yeah and i bought some crappy ones so i'm like no i bought you special ones no it, it just you know that's pretty common with observing is that uh you know you have um you have these lights and for whatever reason, I don't get why they do this. Why do they make the casing on astronomy flashlights black? I mean, are they just looking for us to lose them? Like what is going on there? I know they they should be white or something bright or glow in the dark. I don't know, but, but like they make them black. So you turn them off, you put them down, they're gone. That's why I like, I'm a firm believer in the neck lanyard for my light. Then I always have it like, you know, it's outdoor, like it's out of my jacket. It's, it's there. And then sometimes I just leave it on and, and use my hands to do other things. And the light, you know, still helps me a little bit, uh, you know, if I'm reading a star chart or something. So, um, I love the lanyard. I don't lose lights that way. Um, but you know, each to their own. Yeah. And this is for 10 bucks each. If, if you do end up losing these or someone walks away with them, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a big deal. Uh, I'm going to probably order a couple and uh, you know, I have no doubt that I can get them dimmed down considering like a really bright light works pretty good. And, and what I might do is, is recommend something like these for people that are just, if I can get them worked out right um, mm-hmm. to actually buy, like when they take my astronomy class I'm forever trying to figure out something that people can get and use, because really probably even th- these are probably too bright out of the box, but probably even if you use them as is, it's going to be way better than somebody using like a bright white flashlight. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And and similar to you, like I'm keeping the other one kind of in its uh, original brightness form um, because sometimes you want, uh, like you just want the brightness. Like if I'm in my backyard or, or some other areas that maybe aren't, you know, fully dark, like a full dark site, sometimes uh, a little extra light is nice. And um, I like your idea of parchment. I never thought of that, but uh, I might, uh, like I, I'll probably do that if this turns out to be too bright for, for a dark site. So I don't think this was something I, I came up with. I don't think anyway, I was talking to, uh, when I was learning to sketch, I think it was Mark Bratton or somebody was doing this and uh, maybe it wasn't parchment. Maybe they were just using something else, but parchment is perfect for whatever reason. I, I don't know why, but um, it, it, what the parchment does over the lens is it, and no matter what flashlight you get, I find that um, there's brighter areas to the light and dimmer areas to the light. And so often what happens is you end up turning it higher than what you need, especially for sketching, because you might be holding it closer to your face or you need um, you need a certain level of brightness. But when you have uneven illumination on your paper, it, it really can distort your sketch or make it like extra challenging as you're trying to like move that bright zone along with where you're sketching it. It just really, you know, something difficult that, that you don't necessarily run into unless you're doing sketching. So what a lot of people do is they put something in front of the, the LEDs. And in this case, I use parchment. And what I was doing for a long time is just taking it 
and I could pop the, the, the glass off my light and then I would just sort of shove it down inside somewhere and then I would just use it like a regular light. And then when I wanted to sketch, I would pop it off and put it in front of the light. But I kept meaning to make one sort of permanently for, for sketching anyway. Um, and so this, I think this might be the, the ticket. So, but you also bought, am I reading this right? Did you buy a heated jacket? <laughs> yeah, I did actually. Um, you know, it, it really wasn't planned, but you and I have talked a little bit about like heated gear, uh, during some of our cold weather observing episodes. Um, you know, we've mentioned that some folks will buy like heated jackets, heated gloves, you know, there's, I think, I think just about anything can be heated and it's always been something that has intrigued me because in addition to astronomy, I have uh, a few other cold weather activities where I'm outside, not moving around very much. And, you know, am interested in staying warm. So this has always been sort of a, a curiosity to me, but in, in all honesty, I've never really looked into it because I just assumed uh, I wouldn't like the price tag very much. Um, fast forward to this week and, you know, we're, we're in the holiday season and I, I don't know about you, Chris, but you start to get, um, you know, uh, there's a few get togethers with friends or coworkers where, you know, you're out, uh, you know, having a meal together or whatever it might be. And, and sometimes the spouses are out. So you meet some, some new people. And uh, so there was a, a coworker event Friday night and one of the spouses sells tools um, like, you know, drills, you know, power tools basically. And we were talking about, um, some of the brands of choice and, you know, what are the most reliable. And, uh, he was telling me about the Milwaukee brand of tools. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, Chris, but it's, uh, they're well-regarded They're, you know, heavy use, heavy duty type of stuff that a lot of people will choose if they have big jobs or, or want it to last a long time. And he was telling me about their cut the cord approach, which, you know, everything will be, uh, cordless and, you know, the, the technology behind their batteries and that they also have heated clothing. Like they have everything and like, you know, the battery for your drill will also power your jacket sort of thing. Like it's uh, it's almost like an ecosystem that they're building. Um, so anyway, uh, I was kind of intrigued and Saturday morning I was taking a look at what was available. And honestly, the price didn't, didn't shock me as bad as I thought it would. Um, so, uh, like, uh, one of these heated jackets is, um, with the battery, uh, with a charger, um, was about 200 Canadian dollars. And, um, it has, uh, it has heating for the, the torso, like your chest and your back, and then separate heating. You can turn them both on at the same time, or just have one of these activated. Uh, the other heating is for the shoulders. Um, you can also get a vest, you can get a hoodie, like they have a bunch of different things that are, that are heated and, um, you can have those heated zones on three different levels of heat, you know, kind of low, medium, high. Broil. And yeah. So, so picked it up and gave it a quick test drive last night just to see, you know, is this something that, you know, I would be interested in. And so I was out observing uh, or attempted to observe uh, Comet Leonard last night. I, I sent out a tweet um, right from the location that I was at just to show everybody, you know, the perks of, of living on the prairie is that you have an unobstructed view of the horizon. So about a 10 minute drive from my house, I was on the outskirts of our city looking west and uh, completely unimpeded. Um, had the 12 by 36, uh, Canon IS binoculars and was unable to find the comet, but it was windy. And I think the temperature last night with the wind chill was about minus 10 or 12. 
something like that. And I had my two gone, my gloves and this heated jacket. And, uh, it was pretty nice. Um, so the thing with that though, is I wasn't really outside for a lot of time. You know, I was maybe outside for half an hour. Mm. So I come home, we have some supper and then I spent a lot more time in the evening in my backyard observing. And it's now it's, it's, a, you know, it's cooled off a little bit more. And I started off just, just with this jacket on and it's not a heavyweight jacket at all. Like it's, uh, you know, for us, Chris, it, you know, it wouldn't replace a parka, but you know, I also envision this as a base layer underneath mm. one of you know, the parkas that I wear. Um, but anyway, just with the jacket, I was observing, uh, Neptune last night. Um, and I tell you, putting, turning that jacket on was a game changer. Um, I still want to try this like, uh, you know, on a kind of a colder night when I'm spending more time outside, but, uh, early results are like, you know how profound that X-Ped air mattress was for us, you know, in changing mm-hmm. our time out. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like this heated jacket might be in that category of like just the comfort that it gave me and like, you know, just to not have to go inside to warm up and, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. So more to come on the heated jacket. Um, Let me ask you this though. You haven't said this yet, but who is this uh, purveyor of fine fashion that you bought this from? Oh, the vendor? Yeah. Oh, Home Depot. <laughs> Isn't that like a construction outfitter, like where you go to buy your drywall and kitchen yeah. counters and yeah, yeah. tiles and mops and stuff? So interesting. Yeah. Well, and and so like again, if I like it, so the jacket was a Milwaukee jacket. Um, and if you want like a really good drill or anything like that, Milwaukee is one of the brands that people will gravitate towards. So like it's meant for hard use, it's meant for working. Um, so for, you know, sitting around, I've figured that this is probably a pretty good option. Um, so yeah. And the key, if you're going with, uh, so I did some research. Um, one of the keys with heated clothing is it needs to be close to your skin, um, in order for it to be the most effective. So, Mm -hmm. you know, this thing, uh, like if you go out to buy one, don't buy it anticipating to put it on over top of layers and layers and layers put the heated clothing on and then layer up over top of it. And, uh, uh, so as such, this jacket is, is, uh, like, I was surprised too. The fit is really good. Like normally I wear like large jackets. Um, this one's a medium. And normally if I go medium, it's too short in the arms. Cause I've got these long gangly arms. Um, but it actually fits me quite well. Uh, you know, arms, chest, everything. So, uh, I don't know. I like it. There's uh there's more testing that needs to be done, but just the fact that I could, you know, easily turn on this heat source was pretty darn cool. I'm looking, they have a hoodie or as you folks call them here, a bunny hug. No, I, I'm a hoodie man. I call them hoodies. Yep. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm just looking here now. I'm going to have to, maybe, maybe I'll start buying all my clothes at the construction store. Well, why not? You, I wouldn't you, mind getting a pair of heated gloves. But. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me go on from that though. Um, so, you know, I tried, uh, I tried for the comet last night, failed. It was just too bright um, at sunset. So sunset here is like four fifty eight or something like that. Just before 5. PM. Uh, I was out observing between five 30 and, and 6. PM uh, when it was, you know, getting darker. But the thing is, even at that point in time, I think 
the comet was only like seven degrees above the horizon and, and, you know, setting, uh, minute by minute by minute. And, uh, I just couldn't get it in the twilight glow. Um, I think the twilight glow was too bright and it just overtook whatever, you know, possible chances I had of seeing this thing. Um, so that was a failure. Um, although Neptune, I was able to get that in the backyard, uh, with the 76 millimeter tack, um, very stellar through that telescope. Like I really needed to star hop and, and get my field down in order to see it. Um, I wasn't able to see any of the blue, uh, that I've seen in larger apertures in the past, but, um, definitely was able to find it. I think last night it was about 11 and a half degrees, um, from the moon. So that, you know, was a nice anchor to start from. Um, but probably the coolest observation I've had in a long time was last night. Uh, so after looking at Neptune and, and a quick look at Jupiter, the seeing was pretty poor. Um, but I thought I'll swing it over to the moon and see what I can see there. And I saw a clear obscure effect that I've never seen before. Um, didn't know it existed. And I did brief research and I cannot find any documentation of this. Uh, not saying that there isn't, I just haven't found it yet. I'll, I'll keep researching it. Um, but I, I saw a lunar S in a crater near mm. the Terminator last night. Um, so the crater in question is Perbach, and it was a, a well-lit crater, but like almost right in the middle was to me, like a very well-defined obvious S, mm. um, or maybe like a number five. I don't know. It, it seemed more soft on the edges to me. So I'm calling it an S, um, in my research though, like it's right next door to like Werner crater. Uh, what's the other one here? Uh, Blanchness uh, and Lacalle, which like these four craters are part of the obscure effect that is much more well-known uh, called the Lunar X. Um, so Lunar X was probably visible, mm, I guess, probably during daytime hours, likely. Um, so not really visible, but um, the, again, this Perbach crater, this S inside of it was really, really obvious. It was huge. Like I didn't need any magnif like very uh, much magnification to pull it in. Um, so the timing on that would have been, I'm trying to think your UTC time. It was about 7 PM our time. So I think that would make it like 1 AM UTC time. Okay. I'm mistaken. So if anybody wants to try to see this again, um, you know, probably, Probably what you need to do is catch per back when it's really close to that terminator um, and then see if you're able to, to pull it out. But uh, like I say, I've, I've not heard of the Lunar S. I don't know if you have, Chris. Never, never have. Yeah. I know we're at a phase. I was looking at the moon the other night and I know we're at a phase where you can see a lot of uh, different stuff. Um, anyway, I'm getting distracted by looking at the heated clothing at the construction company site. <laughs> I Milwaukee, isn't that a beer? It's also a beer. Yeah, it's also a beer. Yeah, keeps your beer cold and your hands warm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, so I've, ne yeah, I've never heard of that, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm going to do a little bit. I think I might post it on Cloudy Nights to see if anybody else caught it or has heard of it before and, and uh, see what happens. Lunar S for Shane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you've just, you've been looking for this for a long time. My whole life. Yep. My whole life. 
How about you? I, I know you got out a few times to try to track down Comet Leonard. Oh, I'm so wrecked. <laughs> oh, well, come. Yeah, I've been I've been getting up in the mornings and mm. and and trying for it. Had had a lot of um well, the first morning I went out over a week ago and I reported on that last week, I did see it. And then after that, I had some some failures in in trying to see it. Um <laughs> the worst one was on on Friday, I took Friday off. I took Friday off to look at the comet. And so I actually took a day off work because I knew if I get up early and I went out and I really wanted to have a good look at it, I would just be too wrecked. And then there, there was a couple things that, um, that, that messed me up and I never saw it on Friday morning, even though this was the clearest, best morning. I was looking forward to it. Forecast panned out, awesome skies. And I was a disaster just like one of those, you know, and, and these things happen. And so this is just my only point in talking about this is that it doesn't matter how much you plan for something. Um, when you actually get up in the middle and I go and do stuff, things, things can go, go wrong and you don't make your observation. Um, and what happened to me was, uh, I work, I'm the editor for the RASC observers calendar. We're going to give away a couple of copies here shortly. And, uh, in order to do it, I have to set my software for different locations other than uh, where we are in Regina. So I had it set to Montreal. And so I'd been looking at when it would rise in Montreal and not when it would look, uh, when, when it would be visible here in Regina. So I was I was off by like an hour, I guess, just because of different things. So I had a different latitude and longitude and the whole bit. So so it, it was off by enough that it, that it messed me up. And I ended up sketching M5 and I was like, I think this is it. And then I sent it to you. And I, right after I sent that to you, I'm like, that's not it. That's M5. And I thought, ah, I shouldn't even send that to Shane. I look like an idiot. But um, anyway, the, then I realized soon as soon as I did that sketch and sent it off to you, I was like, no, that's M5. I didn't see it. And I had the wrong field. Um, so the other thing that that had happened um, was that, and, and we talked about this briefly when we were chatting a short while ago, is that it wasn't really supposed to be that that cold that morning it was supposed it was forecast to be like i think like minus 10 or minus 11 or something and it was around that when i left here but when i got out to where i observe it was minus 19 it was minus 20 let's just split the difference and say it was minus 20 out there because it was phenomenally cold probably colder than my limit of about minus 28 with the wind and um uh, yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it, it was just like a surprise. So I packed up all my astronomy gear and I get out there and I'm outside the car for like three minutes and I'm like, I can't even set up a telescope. It's just, it's just way too cold. And I didn't quite dress for it. I would have put on just a little bit more clothing. So I was dressed well um, to go down to like minus, maybe minus 15. But, uh, but this was, you know, with the wind, probably 10 degrees colder. And that is uh, enough of a difference that even, even sweeping around, I stayed out for a long time. Um, even sweeping around, I was just too cold to really see anything by the time the comet was above the horizon. And, um, and I left and drove home, even, even though probably I could have picked up in binoculars. Um, I just wasn't able to, I just had gotten too cold by that point in time. So I stayed out for two hours in and out of the car most of that time and uh, never saw the comet. <laughs> yeah. can, can you imagine Chris, if you had an electric jacket on at that time? How, how good it would have been? <laughs> maybe, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of wantingly looking at those. I think, I think for me, like my core doesn't get cold. It's 
um, it's more like my, my legs tend to be the part that gets cold. And, and what happened was I just didn't dress for it and yeah. I can dress for it. I just didn't quite dress for it. It's mostly like my hands and in particular my hands. And so like looking at the heated gloves, that kind of is what is catching my eye and they're pretty expensive. So I, I'd hope they, they'd be good. I got to do some, do some research before I lay down that kind of money. But, uh, I, I looked at the gloves and, uh, they are very bulky. Um, I, I, I don't know if they would work for astronomy very well. Oh, okay. Check yeah. them out. Check them out. Maybe, you know, maybe they're not quite as bulky as I thought, but uh, they looked really, I don't know, like they definitely would keep you warm, but if you're doing things that require, you know, finger dexterity. Eesh. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, I gotta, I gotta figure that out a little bit better. Maybe get just some hand warmers or something because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, you know, but, but that night it just, it just wasn't coming together for me. And I just wasn't quite dressed for it. It was, it was a lot cold, like a lot colder. Like there's a big difference between, Oh, I think, I think it's probably minus 15 out there and a little bit of wind than, uh, then minus 20 and, and a little bit more wind than what I was prepared for. So, so I missed it. So then, um, I, I, I did look at a few things, had some really good views of uh, like M5. Clearly I sketched it and goofed up, but just in binoculars, mm-hmm. the clusters really do look like comets. And uh, M13, took a look at M13, took a look at the uh, sword and the belt of Orion, took a look at the head of Orion, took a look at the Hyades, the Pleiades. And I mean, it was, that was the clearest morning I've been out. Oh, I don't know. Like I felt like in years, it was so, so crystal crystal clear. And, um, this spot that I go, it's huge, it's flat, it's open. So it's very susceptible to wind, but it also tends to be, uh, just a little bit clearer than the rest of the city. And, um, and it's really dark for only being like in the 15 to 20 minute driving range. It is, it is a really, really dark spot. Um, quite, quite surprising. You lose a big piece of the sky in the direction of the city, but, uh, but the city lights, you can see them, but they're so far away and you're not looking in that direction that, uh, that is nice and dark. But what I decided to do is there's, there's a slightly better spot that I can get to. Um, but I have to go out during the day because the road into it, well, these, these, this road is not maintained is the way to put it. And so you can set up right at the road side and, uh, I won't drive on it at night unless I've been down it recently during the day, because, um, I haven't been stuck on it, but it's been pretty close and sometimes they can, um, park and they, they, and they have, um, a lot of farm equipment on it because it's just a farm road. It's not a road really. Um, it's just an access road. So anyway, it just runs between what we call grid roads here. And so I end up going out on Friday evening because I wanted to observe the planets in that alignment. And I got set up and then there was a giant cloud, perfectly clear sky. And this giant cloud just materialized and it actually started snowing a little bit. So I only observed for 20 minutes and impacted in uh, that night. But did you, you were, you were out on Friday night as well. I think you said. No, no. Friday night was a, a work get together. Oh. If I said Friday, I, I made a mistake. Saturday oh. night is when I was out. Yeah. Sorry. Oh yeah. My, my mistake. Um, and, and again, it was when I went out there, it was a lot colder than forecast. Like that is, um, because the site is so open, it just gets, it just gets so cold out there. But I, again, I only did a short session, but the primary part of that mission was, um, to check that road out, to make sure that it was okay. And 
there's there's two ways you can go down that road, and definitely one way is much rougher than the other way. So I I decided which way I would be entering and exiting that in the middle of the night because if if you go out at, at five o'clock in the morning and you get stuck, and this is a road where people do get stuck on. Um, you are going to be there for uh, an extended period of time before somebody comes along, um, and it's actually a road that uh, that I've made Mike and uh, and my spouse familiar with because uh, I, I imagine I'm going to get stuck out there one day, um, and it's probably a little too far to walk. The uh, there's another site nearby that I use that uh, I can sort of cut across the field and walk out of. I think I can get home in about forty or fifty minutes, but this site. Um, I would just be, I would just be there for a long time. So got to be careful. But anyway, uh, went back out on Saturday morning with Mike and the conditions were not great. We kept having these giant bands of clouds, but we were able to observe uh, Comet uh, uh, Leonard uh, between the bands of clouds. It was, it was tough though. It wasn't an easy observation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this, uh, this comet is certainly bright as far as comets go, but you know, our, um, our conversation with Mark, you know, summed it up quite nicely. Like it's certainly no Neo wise. Um, no. it's, it's not getting that bright. Um, but if you have optics and you can get the field of view and you're there at the right time, um, yeah, you know, there's a little bit that you can, that you can see. Yeah. So we, we went out on Mike out there at, uh, at 6am. Um, he drove in right at six. I had gotten there about five minutes before and I had my scope, my four inch uh, tack set up. And, uh, and, and he arrived and he just had his, uh, 15 by 50 binoculars and he had them on a tripod. And I mean, we kind of sort of knew where it was like, it's pretty much due, uh, East at that time. And, uh, it took us a while, like it probably took us five or 10 minutes to get it. And you got to imagine this is, this is minus 18. The temperature slipped between minus 18, minus 19. There was a really good breeze blown. I'd say it was pretty steady, maybe 20 kilometers an hour. So that's pushing minus 30. Mm -hmm. And, and so five, 10 minutes, you don't find it. You're thinking I'm just freezing to death now. Like if you don't get it pretty quick. And I learned that the other morning is that you're just not going to see it because you're just going to get too cold by a certain point that you're just not able to, to do observing. Um, you've got to be able to get the optics on it. And then once you're on it, then you can observe for an extended period of time, but just kind of wandering around in the freezing cold and the wind without being able to, to kind of get into the right position and, and position yourself. So you're blocking some of that wind. Um, it, it just is going to limit uh, the ability to find anything. So we did get it, Mike got it. And then, uh, and then right after he got it, I, uh, I got on it and then, uh, we were able to use some, some power. I had, uh, the telescope just using about 25 X and, and saw this beautiful fan shape, which is not showing up in the images that I've seen anyway. And then, um, we were able to, to put about 60 power on the, uh, on the refractor and we viewed it for about, about 30 minutes or so. And, you know, as, as we viewed it and the clouds kind of, kind of went off a little bit more, we were able to see the tail, um, well, it's, it's very, very faint. I would say on the level of seeing like the winter Milky Way from, um, uh, an okay dark sky site. I mean, it, it, it was there, um, moving the telescope definitely brought it out a little bit more, but, uh, you know, when I was, when I looked at that, Mike came and had a look, I said, there's no way in hell anybody's going to see this tail in twilight unless this comet gets, you know, a lot, a lot brighter. Cause we were in dark skies 
magnitude 6.2 with some cloud, but during breaks in the cloud, we were able to see it in a four-inch telescope, but wow, it was it was difficult. And it was up like 15 or 20 degrees. So it wasn't, it wasn't like you know, hugging the horizon, which which it's gonna be uh which is going to be doing later this week. So I, I don't know if people are going to be able to see it in twilight, um, but maybe it will brighten up. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody in the, uh, the local club, I'm just pulling up an email here. Um, just bear with me one moment. Uh, he was out last night uh, at a relatively dark site. Um, his report, uh, he, so he's also a variable star observer. So magnitude four, six for the comet was the estimate, uh, a challenging find. Oh, so sorry. This was, uh, this was a morning observation. Um, was it this morning? Yeah, it was this morning. Uh, so this is today is Sunday, December 12th. Uh, so a challenging find in the twilight, but conditions were good. Uh, the coma around the comet was about eight arc minutes in diameter as seen in 15 by 70 binoculars and fairly dense as far as comets go. Uh, there's also a faint tail visible uh, that was about 15 arc minutes long. Uh, I could see the bluish color of the comet compared to the white stars around it. Uh, I watched it for about 12 minutes in the binoculars and was able to detect its movement over that time. Uh, it moved a distance of about seven arc minutes, meaning this comet is moving pretty fast based on its rate of motion. Uh, this morning was definitely the last time to see it before it ducks behind the sun. So interesting so I, observation. I, I think uh, what's being referred to there actually is part of the coma. The coma is very large, like talking about a, a 15, was it 15 arc seconds? This is minutes. Yeah. Well, still like the 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 tail that that I sketched, and I don't know if if you can, it'd be great if you could just tweet that out. Um, so the tail of my sketch is um, approaching a degree and a half. Mm -hmm. So so the the tail on it is about a degree and a half, which is um, you know about what would that be like ten times larger than fifteen arc seconds or whatever it is. Um, so the, if you look at my sketch of the head. And has this wedge shape. So yeah, there's like this wedge shape to it. And when you first look at it, you think that's the tail, but it's not really, that's just sort of part of the head. Like you'll see that, that I drew it's, there's like this coma, this like outer coma, and then there's like an inner coma and there's almost like a chevron. And then just behind that chevron, there's like this bright nucleus. And so there's these three or four different components to that head. And then it kind of fans back. But I think that that large fan area is still part of technically like the, the head or the coma of the comet. And, and so when I was first looking at it, I thought that that was um, the tail, but the, the head on this thing is very large. And then the tail is much, much narrower than all of that junk kind of put together. So yeah. that's actually the tail. So I think, um, you know, it, it's great they were able to see it in, in twilight. And I'm guessing maybe because of that, um, they thought they were looking uh, at at the tail. Maybe maybe that's sort of where the tail is kind of beginning, but it's that's not quite um, the tail of this comet. That the head of it is extremely large and and very complex. Sort of strangely enough, the the thing that I noticed about this in relation to other comets, um, this one looks the most. Um, it has the most detail in the comet head that I've seen, except for comet Hale Bopp. And, and maybe that is, uh, is the takeaway from it is there's a lot to see 
in the head of this. And my one regret was that I didn't put more power on. We, it was very difficult changing powers because of the cold that we were dealing with. Um, but there's a lot of detail in the head of this comet, uh, more so than what is typical. Typically, you might see like a bit of a shell and then a fainter area, but it's all pretty uh, ethereal. But this one, you can see this, um, this chevron pattern. You can see a bright coma and you can see um, that, that there's this, this faint shell around it. And then, and then this, this weak tail that comes off the end. So that, that's kind of the breakdown of it. Interesting. Yeah. This, this is the interesting thing about comets to me is, is just the, the high variability in them, you know, not just the brightness, but the shape, the detail, uh, there's just no two comets that are the same, which is why these are very intriguing targets to amateurs. You know, there's a, there's a lot that, you know, you can try to take in and you just never know until you start observing it. All right. We did get a, get a couple emails here. I know we don't have, uh, have too too much time. So, do you want to do you want to read the email from Larry? Yeah, sure. Uh, dear Chris and Shane, enjoyed the Comet Leonard episode uh, a few days ago, and it motivated me to pass along my own uh, and thankfully short uh, observation. That's his note, not ours. Yeah, yeah not us, not us. No, no he judgment. put he put that in. We we <laughs> yeah. love long emails, so don't yeah. don't let that stop people. Yeah. So, um, so I missed Neowise last year. Uh, I had seen Hale Bop in 1997. It was spectacular watching it in a park with uh, friends in Beijing, but I wasn't there to watch the comet. So Leonard would be my first real observation of a comet. And I was excited. Uh, I got up at 5 a.m. Uh, Sunday morning to try to find the comet. I had a short session on Saturday night. So my gear was all by the front door, set up and ready to go. Uh, Arcturus was up and easily visible in the east, and this made finding things quite easy. I hopped along from Murfred uh, to 10 uh, Buotis <laughs> and 12 Booties, uh, and then to 9. Uh, from the charts I had seen online, this is where the comet should be, uh, but I couldn't find it right away. So I started sweeping around, hunting for it. I began by finding M3, uh, my first time observing this object, another tick off the Messier list. Uh, even in the dark, wee hours before dawn, in my urban skies, this cluster was only a little gray fuzzball. Uh, from there, I slowly moved downwards to nine booties again, and there it was. Uh, in my astronomics 50 millimeter finder, uh, or as I have begun to think of it, a poor man's uh, frugal astronomer's mini board, uh, the comet looked like a little gray fuzzball, a little dimmer and smaller than M3, but almost the same. Uh, M th M3's little brother, one could say. Uh, I observed the comet with both my 102 uh, millimeter F6.5 and 80 millimeter F11 uh, refractors, but the view was pretty much the same in both. I thought maybe I could see a slightly brighter center and maybe some of the surrounding coma, Yeah. Uh, but this was unclear. And there was nothing of a tail, less a comet, uh, less a comet and more like another little globular cluster. Um, rather than disappointment and not seeing something more spectacular, the observation made me quite happy. I felt that I had begun to understand how Messier felt when hunting for comets, how one little faint fuzzy could look so much like another faint fuzzy, especially in a small telescope. Uh, this was a small, but for me, profound realization. And with the sunrise peeking up, uh, behind the horizon, I happily put my gear away, clear skies. 
And I love the relationship to Messier, um, you know, because Messier was a comet hunter and mm -hmm. yeah, you know, when you, when you put it into that context, it's understandable how, you know, Messier could assume things like M3 would be a comet and then, you know, made this list of non-comets. Yeah. And, and I don't think Larry's been observing that. I think he's been observing for a little while, um, but seems like he's, he's really begun to, to dive a little bit deeper. I think like during, during the pandemic, I, he's in Japan, isn't he? Yes, he is. I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, anyhow, I just think he, and he sends us quite a few observations. Um, we don't, don't have time to read them all. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought he described it very accurately, just about that brighter center, slightly brighter center, and then uh, some of the surrounding coma. And then he's in, um, more light polluted skies than I think I was. However, I, I got to say that I think his skies are probably equivalent to like what our backyard skies are. And uh, the fact that he makes the observations that, that he does is actually pr pretty impressive. Um, I think he's, he's got some light pollution challenges there. So uh, I do like what he said about the, uh, the, the, the bright center, the coma around it, he couldn't make out the tail, but, but he's, he's drawing us to the fact that there's, there's some detail, there's some structure there, even from a light polluted area. And then if you get out to like a mag six site, or, or, if, or if you did, like I did, then you're going to see a little bit more detail, even in that coma. And then you'll see that tail um, coming back. But I, I think we're kind of getting to the point where unfortunately we've, uh, we've lost that. We had, a, we had a few more observations. I think I'm going to skip that one for now and go down to Charles. Um, and I'll come back to, to this other one. Um, can I read this one from Charles? This is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. So I, cause I think I was, we have a lot of listeners um, that write us and, and we love getting the emails. And so um, oftentimes what happens is Shane will send me some of the emails or a lot of the emails and I'll reply to some of them. And he'll reply to some of them. Um, but, uh, but, Shane, I don't want to speak at a term, but you've been very busy um, at work, sort of like unusually busy, I think is probably the way to put it for the time being. Yeah, transitioning uh, into a new role and uh, it takes a lot of my time away. So uh, yeah, you've uh, thank you for taking on a lot of the email uh, responses lately. Oh, oh and, I, and I'm happy to do it. I wasn't looking for, you know, any sort of sycophantian praise or anything like that. Um, and, I, and I do really enjoy uh, reading them. I've just been uh, kind of reading and processing a little bit more than usual. And I, I think it's Charles that I've had some other uh, communication with about his, his bookshelf, although that's going to sound like, you know, I know, Charles, you've sent us, our, you know, some great images of your bookshelf. Um, we've actually had that from several listeners now have sent us copies of, of their bookshelf, which is really cool. Uh, but Charles is something uh, really neat. Uh, he's got one of these 152 millimeter, six inch F8 refractors, one of these ED scopes. Um, there's several of them out there. I think his is the APM. I didn't put in my notes, but I'm pretty sure it is. And uh, so anyway, he sent us a Comet Leonard observation using this telescope. And this one, I, I really like his observation. So he said, uh, Comet Leonard has put on a nice show through his scope and binoculars or his scopes and binoculars, these multiple telescopes. And he sent us photos of them really cool. I set up my 152 millimeter refractor early this morning. This was on the 3rd of December. And uh, with his 10 by 50 binoculars, he easily followed the comet and M3 rising through the treetop. So he must have a pretty dark location where he's at. Uh, through binoculars, the comet was larger than M3 and looked like an irregular oval shaped mist with no central concentration. When there was clear uh when there was a clearing uh between the trees uh, or when it when it moved into the clearing between the trees he switched to the the large uh, six inch refractor and he wrote 
Uh, the eastern sky was clear and dark. Local light glare was easily blocked with a blanket. Uh, using a 30 millimeter eyepiece uh, that gave him 51 magnification and about one and three quarters field of view. Um, it showed M3 and the comet in the same field of view and just uh, 43 arc minutes apart. Wow, that is super close. And he spent a few minutes just admiring the view, then moved to higher magnification to increase contrast. I did the exact same thing because of reading the reports um, from listeners like Charles. So many people had written this. Um, Bill Weir had actually written on another um, list that, that he and I are on, and he had talked about this as well. So I actually followed that same pattern uh, and had was able to prepare for that. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but for me it is because it's so cold where we are. I have to make sure that I'm really set up to change powers at minus 20 and minus 30 temperatures because if, if you're not set up to do that when you head out, it ain't going to happen. All right. Um, continuing on, Charles writes, the comet showed the same narrow fan-shaped coma um, that he had observed previously, but was now bigger and brighter. The brightest part was still fan-shaped. So see, he's talking about the coma being fan-shaped, which I also observed. Um, and then he wrote, I could see a much fainter and rounder portion of the coma extending out from the brighter portion. I also saw this. And uh, the nearby star, and he lists the star, was enmeshed in this faint glow. Uh, I didn't see that because it had moved on and, and was around other stars when I was looking at it. And the nucleus, or more accurately, nuclear condensation was not stellar, but bright and easily distinguished from the coma. I also saw that. Yeah, very cool. And the brightest part of the coma wasn't uniformly illuminated, but seemed to be somewhat lumpy with the northern portion very slightly brighter than the rest. Yes. And uh, switching back to the 30 millimeter, he could make out the uh, faint narrow tail extending just past M3. Uh, it was quite faint, but visible with direct vision uh, and about 35 arc minutes long. And it's and this was um, about a week. This was a week before I made my observations uh, on the morning of, oh, sorry, my morning was the 11th. So this is uh, just over a week. Um, so it extended out a little bit further. And, uh, and then he sent us this beautiful sketch here um, showing the comet uh, with a dark nucleus and, and going by uh, M3. And, and he wrote that he thought Comet Leonard uh, looks like a skinny-tailed tadpole. And I got to say, I thought the exact same thing. I, I, I thought the exact same thing. But I love the detail that he included with the stars around it and with the M3 and then with... Um, you know, with, with that sort of different variations uh, inside the coma. So in his six inch, um, you know, uh, when the comet wasn't quite as, quite as bright, I think it was around six magnitude or so, it's almost two magnitudes brighter now. Uh, he was already drawing like quite a bit of detail in that coma. And it's definitely changed uh, since that time. So definitely got a little bit brighter, a little bit lower, and then we're able to see a little bit more uh, detail as well. How are we doing for time, Shane? You, you're sending me a text here probably saying, hurry up, stop talking. Uh, we're at 50. So Okay. All right. So uh, maybe what we'll do is we'll we'll announce our, our winners for the calendar, unless you have anything else to add. No, that's all I have, Chris. All right, cool. So we're going to announce our winners. We've got uh, two winners uh, for the calendar. I'm, I, I We just use first names here because, um, well, unless somebody asks us to use their last name, we're just going to use, use first names. Um you know, for, for privacy reasons and just for clarity reasons as well. Although um, we, we've had multiple listeners from, from different places with different names 
uh, different last names, but same first names apply. So um, I'm going to use their locations to sort of pinpoint where they are. So um, for the winners, the calendars, we have uh, Steve in Massachusetts and Chris in Long Island. And Steve actually sent us um, uh, this really, really cool set of observations. So he sent us he sent us in two observations uh, for the calendar draw. Although, I mean, people can send one or multiple. Um, it's not really going to change the, the outcome here, but I was so, so impressed with what he sent us. So he sent us, um, I, I think of what, what Steve sent us is like sort of amateur astronomy, right? Like, I feel like you could almost take what he sent us and, and use it for, uh, for, for scientific investigation. Um, sent us an image and, uh, and an interpreted image of uh, the comet uh, M3 going by the comet. And then he sent us um, uh, a detailed analysis of, of what he had imaged. Uh, it's black and white. It's a, it's a pretty shot. And then he gave us uh, a lot of details surrounding, um, you know, that, that it was, um, you know, the, the comet, uh, there were some background galaxies, uh, as well as a satellite that, that went across uh, and his, his analysis of it. And th- this is a little different, you know, usually it's just, just a, a, a regular observation that we get, but uh, this, this observation was, was a little bit different. And he sent us some other observations. He sent us an observation of series motion uh, against background stars as well, um, showing it in one location and then how it had moved uh, over the course of an evening. Um, and then a lot of details surrounding that. Um, which is different, you know, um, typically I would have thought that we would get like, um, an image, maybe like an astro image or, or an observation, but his is sort of a a mixture of taking, um, you know, really great, uh, images and then kind of breaking down what is, what is in the image, like a real analysis, like, like a real, like obviously, um, you know, Steve is somebody that has a really deep understanding of astronomy very clearly, and, uh, and is able to, to give this interpretation of what is being observed. Um, and I think we really appreciate that. Uh, and then as well, um, uh, and, I, and I do have more observations. We just got to keep this short. But uh, Chris in Long Island um, has also sent us some observations. And then I'm not going to talk about his, his observation that he sent us for the calendar draw, but he sent us an, an additional observation or just an observing experience from, uh, and it was just last, uh, just, you know, this past week. Um, but he sent us this, uh, this, this log of going and observing, um, at a dark sky site. I don't know if it was his first time at one, but, um, it, I think it was his first time at this particular one and had sent images of his, uh, dark, his daytime dark tent and his uh, six inch F6, um, acromat and how he's set up and, and a really detailed, uh, explanation of kind of how he keeps do off things. And maybe, maybe we'll, we'll dive into that more in the future. I had had some back and forth email with him and um, pretty, pretty interesting um, style of observing actually uh, is probably the way to put it. And, and some really interesting and detailed observations from him as well. And we really appreciate that. So my, my apologies to Chris for running a bit short on time, but uh, we'll, we'll definitely dig in into those. And I think we're sort of halfway through an email chain as, as well. So with that chain, do you have anything left to add to this uh, episode? Oh, that's it for me, Chris. All right. I'll have to reach out to those folks and get their addresses. If I, I don't think I have them, so we'll have to do that. And then I'll get a couple calendars off to you once, once I get your addresses there, I guess they're both on the Eastern seaboard, one in uh, Long Island and one in uh, Massachusetts, um, which is, which is pretty cool. I think Steve was our first person who had, uh, 
who had sent us in um, an application for, for the draw. So that's really cool as well. So with that, thanks, Shane. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. And we're always excited to get observing emails, whether or not we're giving anything away. We're happy to, to hear from people about what you're looking at in the nighttime sky. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.